Ultimately, Lane, you know, there's really just one reason why churches stop growing. They choose to. Huh. They choose They choose not to have the conversations. They choose not to make the decisions that may not be the most popular that are really going to probably lead to some early pruning and then potential explosive growth. Welcome to the Preaching Donkey Podcast, a weekly show where we explore how to preach life-changing messages. I'm your host, Lane Sebring, and I'm so excited to bring you inspiring and helpful conversations with amazing pastors and church leaders, all designed to help you take your preaching and leadership to the next level. And now, let's dive right in. What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode three of the Preaching Donkey podcast. We're going to have a lot of fun today. We've got Sean Lovejoy on the podcast today. He's a rock star. I cannot wait for you to listen to this interview. It's really amazing. We're going to talk about church growth. We're going to talk about the three essential ingredients that you need to grow your church and also the, the three things that really hinder churches from growing and really stop growth. And he's going to dig into all of that in the interview today. It's going to be amazing. So that's coming up. Uh, welcome if you're watching on YouTube. It's so awesome to see you. Uh, thanks for watching with us. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio or Amazon or any of the other podcast players, we're on all of them. Welcome. Welcome to Preaching Donkey Podcast. I am your host. My name is Lane. It's so great to be with you today. And we're going to have a blast. It's going to be really cool. I want to bring your attention to something that I'm very excited about. So next week, next week, this episode, this podcast will come out on Thanksgiving. Now, normally you might be saying, well, why would you release an episode on Thanksgiving? We're going to be busy with our families. I get that. I understand. However, I am going to reveal something in that episode that you're really going to want to hear, especially if you are new to preaching. I, over the last few months, have been building a resource for those of you who are either new to preaching or you are looking to get into preaching and you really just want to know the nuts and bolts of writing and preaching a sermon. I've put together something pretty cool for you. I don't want to say everything right now because I'm going to be saying more about it this week. But next Thursday in the podcast, you'll have an opportunity to know how you can get your hands on that. And this is going to be something that's going to be really helpful for you if you're just starting to preach. You haven't done much of it yet, but you really want to know. And there's a lot of you... In my audience, a lot of you that are watching on YouTube, welcome to you as well. Be sure to give this video a like, leave me a note in the comments, subscribe, do all that great stuff that I really appreciate it. But whether you're watching on YouTube or listening, I have a lot of people in the Preaching Donkey universe who find Preaching Donkey and they'll email me and you'll you know write comments and stuff and say basically, hey, I am brand new to this. I really just need to know how to just just write a sermon and preach it. So I went to the drawing board and I started to think about what it, what would be the most helpful thing for people who are in that position. And so I'm going to re- reveal that on this podcast 
Next week, I'm also going to talk about some things related to preaching and particularly beginning your preaching journey. So whether you listen to it on Thanksgiving Day or the next day, it's fine. I'm not I'm not concerned about that. I know you got things going on with your family, but I would imagine that maybe when you're cooking dinner or you know, watching football or whatever, you could just have the podcast in your ear just to find out what's going on. So anyway, that's next week. It's going to be really cool. Today, though, we, as I said, we've got Sean Lovejoy on the show, and we're going to be talking about church growth. And I found this report on RNS, Religion News Service, Report, megachurches continue to grow and diversify, steer clear of politics. A look at megachurches over the past five years finds that most have grown larger and more diverse and become less likely to call themselves evangelical. So it says America's megachurches have continued to thrive over the past five years, attracting more worshipers, becoming more diverse and opening new locations. A pre-pandemic national survey of megachurches from the Hartford Institute for Religion Research found the median megachurch draws about 4,100 attenders to its worship services from up from about 3,700 in 2015. So there was a 400-person increase from 2015 to 2020. What's interesting about this is so much of what you hear is that the church, right, the church is in decline in the U.S. And that that may be true, but and it may be that their churches are really consolidating to larger churches that offer more for people. But I just find that to be interesting, that while churches are in decline, as they say, uh, you've got some churches that are really, really thriving. The average megachurch budget is $5.3 million, up from $4.7 million in 2015. Seven out of 10 have more than one location. Six out of 10, 58%, say they have multi, a multiracial congregation. You know, it's interesting that seven out of 10 have more than one location. 20 years ago, that would not have been the case. Uh, multi-site has become standard in larger churches in a very short amount of time. I mean, uh, things went from being, you know, centered in one location as the norm to scattered into many locations as the norm very, very quickly. Despite the decline among uh, Christian groups overall, most megachurches seem to be doing well, said Scott Tuma, professor of sociology of religion at Hartford Seminary and director of Hartford Institute. They continue to do things that other congregations should be doing, Thuma said. Thuma said the use of contemporary worship, along with focuses on small groups and international diversity, has helped megachurches continue to grow. Megachurches in general, he said, also tend to steer clear of controversy, staying away from culture wars or political battles. According to the survey, few megachurches said they distribute voter guides, 14%, or encourage voter registration, 14%, or participate in get-out-the-vote efforts. 63% said their church avoids political discussions when they gather. One in five said their congregation is politically active. Two-thirds disagree when asked, everyone in this congregation has the same political position. When asked if everyone in this congregation has the same political position. So two-thirds said, we don't all have the same political position. And one in five, only 20% 
is politically active. You can read the rest of that report at religionnewsservice.com or religionnews.com. I just thought that was interesting to bring up that <coughs> there are trends in church growth and particularly trends in mega churches that are interesting. So my question to you, if you're watching on YouTube, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, do you think that mega churches growing is uh, a sign of church growth overall, or do you think it's a sign of maybe people just shifting from smaller churches to larger churches? I'd be interested to hear what you think. And also, the fact that most megachurches are not politically active, is that a good thing? Is that the way it should be? I know people you know, feel very strongly on one way or the other, so I'd love to hear from you. And as always, be nice. Be nice in the comments. If you're listening and you're not on YouTube and you can't comment that way, email me, lane at preachingdonkey.com. I'd love to hear from you. Or you can ask to join the Facebook community, Preaching Donkey Facebook community, and we can talk in there. So Sean Lovejoy is a highly sought-after speaker. He, You will find him at many different church conferences around the, the world. In fact, funny story, I was at um, Expo, Exponential, which is in Orlando. It's about 6,000 people go to this event every year. It's a church planting conference. And there was a really, uh, there, there, was a, there was a breakout session that Sean Lovejoy taught, and I wanted to go to it. And I didn't know Sean personally at the time, but I was just like, hey, I want to go to Sean's, Sean's breakout. So I go, and it was standing room only. You could not get in. Um, I mean, somebody would have to literally lower me in through the roof kind of thing for me to get in there. Everybody was, it was packed wall to wall. People were all the way out the door, and there was a few of us standing in the hallway trying to hear what he was saying. Uh, so, and it was, it was great. I listened to as much of it as I could possibly hear. And he, at that time was talking about church growth. This is the one of the things that he helps pastors with. And he coaches, uh, as he coaches pastors through his, uh, his, uh, organization called courage to lead. Sean was a pastor, was a mega church pastor, grew his church very large, and then went into the consulting and coaching, coaching side of things to help pastors lead better. And he does whole lot more than that, but that's the essence of it. He's also written a couple of books. One is called Be Mean About the Vision. His latest book is called Measuring Success. We're going to talk about both of those in this interview. I think you're really going to enjoy how he's going to drill down on the three things that stop churches from growing. Got a lot out of that. Enjoy this interview with Sean Lovejoy. Sean Lovejoy, thanks so much for being here. It's so great to have you. Hey, great to be with you, my friend. You know I love and respect you, and I'm excited about adding value to your listeners today. Well, uh, I'm honored to have you here, and I've talked a little bit about who you are. I think a lot of people listening probably know Sean Lovejoy and are familiar with Courage to Lead and all the work that you do. But prior to Courage to Lead, you had a whole ministry and different things that you were involved in. So can you kind of Take us through the journey of how you got to where you are today, helping so many pastors lead better. Yeah, man. Well, I say all the time, I refer to myself as a spiritual entrepreneur. Uh, I was a real estate developer, you know, making a lot of money in my 20s. God calls me into vocational ministry, planted a church, became a mega multi-site church, started coaching pastors in 2001 but I always felt like an executive trapped in a pastor's body. Like my church grew in spite of my preaching lane, not because of my preaching. 
And, and I was better between Sundays. Like I always knew that about myself and was always attracted to hang out with business person, you know? And I just realized over time, like I'm a, I'm a good pastor, but I'm a really, really good coach, not just with ministry leaders, but marketplace leaders. And it's a little bit of a John Maxwell story. His old executive pastor was one of my coaches where I just realized the coaching thing being bigger than the church. And um, it was a calling. Calling's one of the second or third scariest decision I've ever made is to hand off this full time. And it's been a wild ride since then, coaching leaders, you know, all over the world. And we've got, you know, two couple, couple dozen coaches from Los Angeles to New York. And we get to work with pastors. You know, Jesus through the church is the hope of the world, but also a lot of great Christian CEOs, you know, that have a flock they minister to between Sundays. And that's been a joy of my life. You know, we're working now with multi-billion dollar companies on the market side, which is just a lot of fun, you know, <laughs> and we're helping them. We're helping them. So I was made for this, man. Well, that's awesome. And, and I, I love how you bring, when you help the church leaders side of things, you bring the experience of having been a pastor, having been a mega church pastor and all that comes with that. And I think, I think a lot of pastors have so benefited from one of your books, Be Mean About the Vision, which I, I know ha has gone just, ha people, people just have really resonated with the message, which is to guard the vision, right? That, that it is, um, I, 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 it's funny because your version of being mean about the vision is actually pretty nice because <laughs> you're not a mean right, guy, right, right. Um, but the vision is, is so vital. And we'll talk about um, your most recent book, uh, a little bit later, but I know that so many pastors have just resonated with that message. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, well, we forget our why. Um, I wish I'd have titled it that for Simon Sinek, you know, but um, a lot of people forget their why. And if we forget why we're doing what we're doing, we'll lose our passion, you know, but our teams lose their why quickly. You know, I think the closer you are to the front lines, the more you get the stuffing kicked out of you and the more you experience warfare and the more the vision leaks in you. And then there's all these vision hijackers with good ideas, not necessarily God ideas <laughs> that we have to filter through. And it's a fight, you know, it's a fight. So I think a lot of people have resonated, you know, with that thought process. Yeah, I love it. So when it comes to, when it comes to leading uh, churches, uh, most of what we talk about here on the Preaching Donkey podcast is, is preaching. But one major aspect of, of preaching and leading is church growth. I mean, we, we want more people to come. We want more people to hear the message. We want to reach the lost. We want to, we want to be a place that's attractive and a place that you know, engages people. So what are the things that churches, church leaders do that maybe hinder growth or help growth? What, what have you seen? Well, I think we try to masquerade it sometimes. You know, there's a human element and a God element to church growth. And sometimes you've probably experienced this as well. I get lit up on social media because they're like, church growth is Jesus's job. You know, we're just to preach the gospel, you know. Well, yes, that's partly true, you know, but God is always choosing to use the human instrument. So, and I think Jesus has never gone back on his word. He's committed to building his church. That's what he said he would do. So if the church is not growing, you know, where we are, is it Jesus's problem, his 50%, <laughs> or is it our 50%, the human instrument? So there are things we've got to get better at. And 
ironically, most of us weren't taught leadership and organizational health and how to build a team. I never took a class on hiring and firing or how to lead a staff meeting <laughs> Same. or how to handle, yeah. how to handle conflict, you know, according to the gospel in seminary. So what we've tried to teach guys is all that stuff that they didn't teach you in seminary that has to do with people and culture and team and systems. And I've had a sparring match with Outreach Magazine for years. I'm not a big fan of the top 100 list. I think it puffs 100 up with pride and discourages 299,900 pastors. <laughs> Most guys end up on it one time, you know, if they're lucky early uh -huh. on in their church, and then they spend the rest of their careers trying to get back on it. And it's very defeating. And if you're not meant to be a mega church pastor, I say this in measuring success, you know, it can be the most condemning thing you ever try to do is to be something you're not, you know, we're not all five talented guys. That's the truth. I'm from Alabama. We're 48th on every list. Thank God for Louisiana, Mississippi. You know, I'm a two talent guy that has constantly overachieved, but, but I, I've studied these fast growing churches. So Sean, you, you said something very interesting that when it comes to leading, one of the most condemning things you can do, you said, is to try to be someone you're not or try to do something you can't do. And I think a lot of pastors, especially young pastors, get into this and they see these superstars that are leading these mega churches and they think, that's where I want to go. That's what I want to be. I want to be like Stephen Furtick. I'm going to be like Mike Todd. I'm, I'm going to go do it. And what would you say to that person who, when they think about church growth, they think one day, I'll get to live a life like Andy Stanley, and that will be great. Well, I think there's two side of it, two sides of it. One, there's the obviously the temptation to compare. You know, I, we started our church in 1999. There was no Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You know, we were running a hundred after a year. I thought we were the fastest growing church on the planet <laughs> uh, because my church ran 300, and we were 150 years old where I grew up. And I'm like. Stink. We're third of the way there one year in, you know, now you can always look at someone who's doing it bigger and faster than you are. And that's a trap, you know, but secondly, I would just say that I think there's a real freedom that comes with being secure in your own skin and understanding who you are. Simon Sinek talks about this in the infinite game. The, the goal, the real goal of, of, of a healthy leader is not to win or be the best or keep up with someone else it's to infinitely make progress and get better. And I have pastors that have a, like a victim mentality a lot of times. And they'll say to me, Lane, well, you know, it's tougher in Boston, you know, or, if, or it's, it's tougher to reach people in Los Angeles or Seattle. And then I'll meet a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, who tells me the same thing. The truth is it's hard to reach lost people everywhere. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And we're not responsible for where we're not and talents we don't have. We are 100% responsible for what we do have. Mm -hmm. and where we are. And there's a freedom and power. It says, I'm not responsible for running his race. I'm not responsible for where he's pastoring. I'm responsible in this city, in this community, with the talents I've been given to maximize them. And Proverbs says, keep your gaze straight in front of you. Don't veer to the left or the right. Keep your eyes on the prize, the New Testament says. So I think there's a freedom that says, you know what? I'm not, I'm not in a race. I'm not in a race. I just need to get better every day. And if I get better, Eventually, the church will start getting bigger. And we tell pastors, you don't presume on growth. You get prepared for growth mm. by getting better. As, as a pastor, a leader, and as a, a ministry organization, if you will, we've got to get better. Yeah, that's, I love that concept of 
you know, I lift, I train. And one of the, one of the most liberating things when you're in the gym is to realize that you're competing with yourself. That's it. You're not, I'm not trying to lift more than the other guy. Great I'm not trying to lift because who cares what they're doing? I'm running my race and better every day, better every day. So I think when, when pastors can get, like you said, you had a hundred people, fastest growing church that, that you'd ever known. And had you seen the list of, of all these churches that hit 2,500, 5,000 in, in a week or a month, it would have been very discouraging. So there's no reason to look at that. So I, I think that's, that's really good. I think a lot of people could stand to, to hear that and to, and to spend less time looking at what other churches are doing. I've heard you talk before about the things that hinder growth, um, things that can, we can actually change regardless of our, of our skill. We can build on and work on these things. Could you talk a little bit about what those are and how we can work to make sure that we're utilizing them well? Yeah. So I think a lot of people want to, you know, they want to tweak the, the software, you know, when they, when they get stuck as a church, but it really does come down to like a hardware, you know, reconstruction and upgrade, whatever that looks like. It, it's, it, yes, we probably need to get better at our preaching, you know, but I know some churches that are really growing who don't have great, great preaching. You know, is that a challenge? Yes, it is. Most churches that are growing have great communication, but there are some that are growing that don't have fantastic communicators. Um, there are some who have phenomenal musicians and worship teams and some that are, let's just say lackluster or average, maybe below average that are growing. As I, as I studied the fastest growing churches for years and talked with a lot of them, like their, their, their ecclesiology, their philosophy of ministry, their preaching style, their music style, their, their belief in discipleship and how they approach that issue. They were all over the board different. There was no common thread. But what I saw across every growing church, and since then what I've identified in every stuck church is really that what I call the three irreducible minimums. Everywhere where you have a healthy culture, a high-capacity, highly-aligned team, and simple systems that are worked with ruthless consistency, that church is growing. Everywhere where I find a church that's stuck, the culture is either unhealthy, the team is not aligned, or they don't have the right team for the next, you know, life station and growth of the church, or they've outgrown or outaged their systems and they don't have simple next steps and they're not being disciplined and focused. They're program based rather than process oriented when it comes to discipleship. And the churches I see winning are the ones who just get up every day and they make the ministry healthier, healthy culture, healthy team, healthy systems. We call those the three gears of growth. Wow, there's so much there. What I want to dig into is, and first of all, I think I've seen this where when one suffers, the rest of them do. If you have a bad team, your culture is going to be lacking, right? If you don't have systems, there's, there's going to be a, your culture is going to lack because there's no consistency. So I think these, these things are so tied together and it's so insightful. And the thing that is encouraging, going back to what we were talking about earlier, is anybody can work on these things, Right any church can make these things better with the right, uh, the right focus. So to me, I, that's the most encouraging part about it, Lane, is that I, it doesn't matter whether I'm a one talent, two talent or five talent, I can go to work on the culture. I yeah. can go to work on the team. I can go to work on the systems. I can make all of that better. It's going to take courage and discipline, but I can make all of that better. And I think Jesus wants our church to grow more than we do. <laughs> 
We think we're waiting on him. I think he's waiting on us to get prepared mm. to handle more. But if, if, if the people, if what we have now is crushing us, one thing for sure, he's not going to send us more than we can handle. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. You mentioned two things that I, I think I really want to dig into. One is pursuing systems with ruthless consistency. And the other thing is program people, people choose programs over a clear process and that's where they really go bad. So let, let's start with the ruthless consistency because I, I'm a systems guy. I think, I think every church that had very clear workable systems. So what does it look like to, to work your systems with ruthless consistency and why does that matter? Well, let's first talk about symptoms of the fact that we're suffering, you know, in regards to system. By the way, I got this idea out of this really cool book called the Bible, you know, Acts chapter two, 3000 people get saved in one first day of the church. Okay. There's no, there's not even anxiety around that. Hmm. Like it was very simple and very clear to every new believer as to what their next step was going to be. And they had a simple infrastructure prepared to assimilate people rapidly into the body of Christ. That's how the church grew. You fast forward to Acts chapter six. When did things get tense, anxious? You know, when they didn't have enough leaders to adequately care for the people that were coming to their church and chaos ensued. So it really is about creating a healthy infrastructure and the right personnel. To me, it's like the widow in second Kings who prepared the jars of oil. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. You know, when did the miracle stop when the number of prepared jars, you know, ran out? So I tell guys, just, just, you need to, you need to get more empty jars. <laughs> you, you yeah. and, and you're not as clear as you think you've been. So if, if you go on vacation and everything goes to Hades in a handbasket, can I say that on the preaching donkey podcast? You can, you can, you know, absolutely then it's, it. it, you have a personality driven ministry, not a systems driven ministry. You know, you take Starbucks or McDonald's, okay? If an employee is out that day, nothing changes in terms of the consistency of their product. They can plug and play blue-collar employees, by the way, and maintain a consistent product because they have really clear, simple systems. And a lot of us have not, with ruthless consistency, got everything down on paper, made it accessible to everyone, held everyone accountable to the blocking and tackling and the focus, discipline, and consistency they need to have to work that system. What I see, and I talk about this in vision, uh, be mean about the vision, is vision schizophrenia. Like we'll try something for a few months, the newest silver bullet at the conference or podcast or online course that doesn't work we move over here instead of man just day in and day out pick a plan pick a discipleship process and sticking with it and making it better over time the churches that have done that with great discipline and ruthless consistency you know have been most successful over time yeah well and to do that it takes so much focused leadership, right? Because people get bored, they want to deviate, they want to do it their own way. Uh, and yeah, that, that takes that takes some major, major discipline. So when it comes to programs versus a clear process, what is the difference there and how do churches get that wrong? Well, I think a lot of churches, we were kind of trained in a lot of the churches we grew up in, you know, you just put more hooks in the water. I had an old minister of education told me more hooks in the water, more fish you catch. You know, but it's it's not true. You know, I really do believe less is more. And a simple, clearly defined 
process. Again, go back to Acts chapter two. Like, what was my option? What were my options when I got saved in the church in terms of what I could participate in? Really not much. <laughs> I mean, I, I had to get in a small group, okay? Revolutionary. <laughs> I had to get in a small group, and that's where I would be discipled. That's where we'd do communion. That's where I'd be baptized. You know, everything's going to happen right there, and we're, we're employing simple, simple processes that move people from step to the next. And the churches I know that are crushing it work that plan and tweak it, by the way, you know, over time and get better and better and better and better at it. That's one of the hidden advantages of sticking to a plan because you will tweak it and improve it. It won't look anything 10 years later like it did when you started out, but it's been slow and incremental upgrades over time to get better at what you do. Yeah, you know, I, I've been in both kinds of churches, like probably a lot of people listening have, where I've been in the program-driven church that was kind of an established, you know, been around for a long time. So you have a lot of programs that are just there because they're there, and, and it's just hard to kill uh, those those golden calves. And it becomes like a buffet. You know, people have used the term yeah. ecclesiological, ecclesiological, ecclesiological buffet, where people just pick and choose, I'll take this, I'll take that. And then I've also been in churches that are process-oriented, steps. And I agree with you. Those churches run much faster. They bring people along a discipleship path much clearer. And they really do make disciples better and more than, than what you're going to find in just a program, kind of Netflix buffet of options. So I think you're... Well, and connecting it to preaching, Lane, you know, it, it gives such great clarity into my call to action as a preacher my call to commitment as a preacher. If there's not 27,000 things, yep. you know, I'm asked to get you to do in and through my preaching. But when there's three, four or five things, I can count them on one hand, man, I can do that. I can nail those, you know, and, and move people in my preaching. I think people get preaching backwards. Like we ask two questions. What do we want them to know? And what do we want them to do? And most pastors preach in that order. I actually think Jesus and Paul show us, you actually flip those questions. What do we want people to do? What are the fruits of the spirit? You know, what makes them a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? What are the, where are the places where we're deficient in our body right now in the body of Christ? And then, then I need to take scripture and apply to that, the whole council of scripture to move them to do what, Jesus wants them to do that. That's why James said faith without actions is dead. You know, I, we don't, we don't, we don't need just more knowledge for the sake of knowledge and we don't need more Bible studies for the sake of Bible studies. You know, if so, Lifeway would have won the world. You know, what we really need is to move people closer in their devotion and fully following Jesus Christ. Uh, I love that. I love it. So, so you've got, you've got systems and a process and that's really important and you also have team. So where do things go wrong with team and how do you build a, a strong team? Well, again, let's just go back to Acts chapter two a minute. I mean, I think sometimes in our preaching, we've not given the disciples enough credit. Uh, you know, they were a bunch of blue collar guys, tax collectors, fisher, fishermen. But I'm telling you, Peter was a great preacher. I mean, he filled with the Holy Spirit. His first public sermon, 3,000 people get saved. Did that happen your first sermon, Lane? 
Sure didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the dude was a brilliant communicator. He was. He was. And writer. We know that now. So we've uh, Jesus didn't just pick a team. Uh, the Apostle Paul would have no doubt tested out to be a genius. No doubt about it. I mean, he was brilliant. He, he, could, he could debate on a scholarly level with anybody in the human race. And so Jesus didn't just pick breathing people to try to change the world with them. He picked talented people, gifted people, loyal, devoted to the apostles' teaching, but also to each other. And there's power in all of that. And they were, they were so devoted to each other, not just to the Great Commission, but to each other. They coined almost a new word for it or dusted off that old Greek word, koinonia, because they were so tightly unified. But a lot of pastors run off and leave their teams in the dust, and they spend all their time on the crowds and not enough time building that elite leadership team and working on their cohesiveness, their oneness, their koinonia, and everything kind of falls apart. And I really think we lead the opposite of Jesus. So there's a lot to be done when it comes to what, how Jesus taught us to lead. Stiff arming the crowds so we can be with the few in our church that have the most leadership capacity, serving, giving, leading, all of those things, and investing into them deeply and building them up. There's a power to that. There's a power to that in terms of the the energy and effectiveness of the local church. But a lot of pastors somehow have gotten disconnected in what it takes. And of course, you and I both made some bad hires. We were just sitting across the table from someone at breakfast. We're like, I like you. Why don't you come join my team? Yep. Without really vetting their character, their capacity, you know, their chemistry, their calling. So, so we teach a lot of that, like how to build a team that has the capacity and the character and the chemistry and the calling, which is really like a, a call to die to yourself, follow Jesus, care more about the collective win of the gospel than my role on the team and, and, and storm the gates of hell together. And the teams that kind of get that, wow, they change the world. The guys that don't, it's a bunch of paid professionals that are doers of ministry, not developers of ministry. They kind of play nice and they have artificial harmony. They really don't have conflict. They really don't work together. It, it, it marginalizes the effectiveness of the, of the gospel through the church. Yeah, man, that's so, there's, it's so insightful because I, I feel like a lot of churches function, you talked about artificial harmony, a lot of churches function where every pastor functions like an independent contractor. Yep. And they come and go as they please. They're not really, you know, I'm fighting for my contingency, which is worship, and you're fighting for your contingency, which is, you know, volunteers or whatever. And, and none of us are really aligned around the vision. Uh, and that sucks being a part of a team like that. It's no fun. It's much better when you're singularly focused on a, on a vision together. Uh, so how do you get there? Like, let's say, let's say somebody's listening and they've got, you know, that maybe they inherited that team where to, of no fault of their own, you know, God called them to a place where that's just the, the culture, that's the way it is. How do they take that team and move it into something like more like what you're describing? Well, I am looking for, you know, first that old saying, I'm looking for fat people, you know, faithful, available, teachable. Um, um, so, so I, I think that's very important. My friend Matt, Keller wrote a, wrote a book called The Key to Everything. Have you ever read that book? 
I have I coached him years ago. He says the key to everything is teachability, coachability. Like I'm just looking for some guys and gals that, that, are, that they don't get defensive when I try to spare their life that are willing to go with me, you know, and they seem to be fake. They have a, 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 a track record of consistency and faithfulness. I'm going to get some people around me and I'm going to start that are like that. I'm going to start investing into them at a, at a, at a, on a deeper basis. And I'm going to start holding people accountable to not just the great commission, but the great commandment. If you're fulfilling the great commission, but you're violating the great commandment and doing it on our team, the order is important. The great commandment comes first. So you got to love your neighbor as yourself. If you're not doing that, I don't care what your numbers are. Like we're missing the point. Um, so we've got to be committed to the gospel and committed to each other. That's the way we're going to roll. And that's why I named this organization Courage to Lead. <laughs> Ultimately, Lane, you know, there's really just one reason why churches stop growing. They choose to. Huh. They, choose, they choose not to have the conversations. They choose not to make the decisions that may not be the most popular that are really going to probably lead to some early pruning and then potential explosive growth, you know, in the church. Most teams we work with are not one or two hires away, you know, from, from, from producing fruit, they're one or two fires away. Hmm. There's some unhealthy fruit gotten in the basket that's got to be exposed. And as Patrick Lencioni calls it, managed off the team. There's some pruning that needs, but, but, but we're, we don't want to go through the pruning process and we want to be popular and we want to be liked. And that's a slippery slope. Oh, sure. Man, you know, that, that really hits very hard. I, I think for probably a lot of people listening, it's both uncomfortable to hear and it's true. So it's like, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta embrace it. That churches are not growing for one reason they've chosen to, they're choosing to not grow. Uh, it's kind of like when, uh, you know, I'm trying to get in shape. So this is where my mind is, but um, I was out of shape and sloppy for one reason because I chose to be that way. That's right. right. Totally true. Totally and, true. And I, I remember listening to, uh, I remember listening to the news years ago, this back when George W. Bush was president. And he said um, that he d- did the treadmill for an hour a day. You know, this was, in, he was, you know, what was he in his sixties in office, you know, late fifties, sixties in office. I was like, if the forget political persuasion, if the president of the United States has time, <laughs> do cardio for an hour, seven days a week. I am without excuse, you know? And I think the victim mentality, you know, I just don't have enough time to work out. Well, well, I think the same thing can slip into ministry. We don't have this and we don't have enough money. And, you know, we're in Alabama or we're in Boston or, you know, and there's all these, we're going to make all these excuses rather than saying, you know what? I can get better. (laughs) I can get a coach. I can become more disciplined. I can become more focused. I can get more courageous. I can commit to have two conversations with people on our team that are way long overdue. And that's stuff we can do, man. That's the liberating part of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I think, I think, you know, for people who are listening to this podcast, this is an elite group. These are the best of the best. Okay. And they're the ones that are going to take, take this, and, and want to run and go to the next level. So can we talk about two things? I want to talk about your book, Measuring Success, because I think um, that has got to tie in in some way where people can read that. 
and, and get better as a leader. So t- tell us what the vision behind that book is and how it can benefit the people who read it. Yeah, I say in that book that, you know, success is really being loved and respected by those closest to you. All right, I have a 21, a 17, and a 16-year-old. Sometimes the best way to love my kids is to make them angry at me. <laughs> to, to push them to do something they don't want to do or to help squeeze every ounce of potential, you know, out of them. So some days I have to choose to be respected, you know, over liked. But every day I want to choose to live for an audience of one and gain the respect by, of the people closest to me as a pastor. Like that's your team. That's your team. You're the spiritual authority. You're the spiritual parent. And if you're not doing some things that make you unpopular sometimes, you know, the Bible calls that a false prophet. So there's just a need to say, hey, I acknowledge some of that. Like I have not, I've been afraid of conflict. I've been afraid of rocking the boat. I've been afraid of getting fired. Lord, I repent of that. And I don't want to be a people pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser and I want to please you an audience of one. And then I tell pastors all the time, just go and apologize to your team. Hey, oh, you guys an apology. Like you think you lose credibility when you do something like that. They know it, by the way, they already know you're yep. not leading. You're not having conversations you need to have that there's artificial harmony on the staff. They just wonder if you have the courage to acknowledge it and do anything about it. Mm, so just say, hey, I'm sorry. I need help with this. My tendency is to want you to like me over being your leader and, and, and pushing you to be your best and holding you accountable. But I know that's not what God wants for you and for us. And I want to do better. So hold me accountable. I'm going to hold you accountable. Let's start getting better today. I mean, I, we've helped a lot of leadership teams and churches have revival right there around that conference room table because we start getting real with each other. We start confronting reality, confronting the brutal facts. And man, uh, that, there, peace comes on the other side of conflict sometimes, and there's like a new galvanization that happens. And then this team starts storming the gates of hell, and then all of a sudden, guess what? The church starts growing. So that's what we love to do with guys. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I think uh, I want to encourage everybody to to grab a copy of Measuring Success. And at CourageToLead.com, there's actually opportunities to get coaching from you or your team, right? Correct. Yeah. So and lots of free resources and coaching on that site. Yeah. Lots of, lots of that there. You can find Sean at Sean Lovejoy one on Insta, man, this has been so good to, to talk with you. I know this is going to really serve uh, those listening well and so so many great insights coming out of this. So I appreciate you coming on today. Hey man, honored to, to be with you and honored to add some value to your audience. And you know, I believe in you, man. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Well, that was awesome. I really enjoyed that interview. I hope you did. Sean has become a good friend and a good friend to the podcast and to Preaching Donkey. We're very grateful for him. Definitely go check out Measuring Success and check out CourageToLead.com and get into some coaching because we all need a coach and he's got a great, great team of people that can help with uh, coaching and leadership and all the things that we do as pastors. Well, you know, one of the things that I love in that interview is when he said that so many churches aren't growing for for really one reason, and that is they've chosen to. 
They choose to stop growing. And that's hard to hear. And yet it's, it's kind of liberating because if you can choose to stop growing by default, right? You're just, you're doing the things that are leading to an absence of growth. Then it must mean that you can choose to grow. You can choose to start doing the things that inevitably lead to growth. And that's encouraging to me. It's encouraging to me because it's not only true about your church and the numbers of people that are coming, but it's also true in your development as a preacher, right? If you're ineffective or if you feel frustrated in your preaching, then you might be choosing to do things that lead to the result that you don't want, right? Frustration and ineffective preaching, dull, boring communication, but that means you can choose to do something different, and that's awesome. And I, I love that concept, and I really, really hope that you go back, listen to that interview uh, a few times, and really dig out the, the nuggets of gold that were in there. Like I said, next week, I've got some really cool things for you. If you want to make sure you don't miss anything, make sure you're subscribed. You can actually subscribe simply by going to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days. Put in your email, I'll send you the 21-day guide to creating killer sermons, which is a really great resource that you just need anyway. And that puts you on my email list, and that way you make sure you don't miss anything that's coming out next week. Again, if you're new to preaching, or you're wanting to get into preaching, or you just are looking at it going, hey, I'm kind of stuck in my preaching, and I really just need to get back to the basics, I've got something really cool for you coming next week. I can't wait to talk to you about it then. Until that time comes. Remember, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you and he can speak through me. We'll see you next time here at the Preaching Donkey Podcast.